Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church Audio Podcast. Today on the podcast, we have a message from July 1st, 2012, part 21 in our series on the Gospel of John. This message is entitled, You Have the Words of Life. And hey, just uh, an update on a few things we got coming up. On July 12th, we have a vision meeting where we're going to be laying out kind of the direction of our church in the next few months, including our Renew Covington project where we're helping to build a home right now, um, as well as stuff for our youth and children's ministry and possible uh, uh, new building facilities that we're looking into. So I encourage all of you to come out to that if you can get the chance. Also check out on the web as we have info on a lot of other events, women's, men's studies, and youth activities. NorthShoreVineyard.org. For the meantime, let's go ahead and head to downtown Covington, North Shore Vineyard Church. John sixty verse uh, John six verse sixty. Many among his disciples heard this and said. This is a tough teaching, too hard to swallow. Jesus sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this and said, Does this throw you completely? What would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from? The Spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't do anything to make that happen. Every word I've spoken to you is a spirit word, and so it is life-making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part in this. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He also knew who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. After this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus gave the twelve their chance. Do you also want to leave? Peter replied, Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. We've already committed ourselves, confident that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus responded, Haven't I handpicked you, the twelve? Still, one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. This man, one from the twelve, was even getting ready to betray him. Now, there's a lot of stuff. We, we could probably camp out just on these these. 11 verses, we could camp out there for a few weeks. So I'm going to try to hit on a few of the things and then kind of uh, leave it where it ends. The, the first thing I want us to know, notice in this is that Jesus kind of concludes, uh, he says in here that, that you only, um, as, I, as I write here, this is what I told you earlier, no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. That's, that's a, 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 a huge thing to notice here. Now, I want to recap a little bit of what we talked about last week. Last week was uh, the, the very scary words of Jesus where Jesus really offends a lot of people. And if I've got to be honest, I think I might have got offended if I was hanging out in the crowd. Jesus gets up, he says, um, if any of y'all want to keep going with me, you just got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I'd be like, What? <laughs> A lot of people thought, this is, this is scandalous. Now, what I said last week, what Jesus was saying, it was foreshadowing the cross, the resurrection. It was foreshadowing communion as well, the meal that we celebrate. Jesus was not endorsing Christian cannibalism. But it was a hard saying. 
Also, Jesus said some other things right before that that made him seem to be equal with God. He was making some ridiculous claims in the eyes of many. Now, understand this, the, the, the hope for the Messiah back there, the word Messiah doesn't mean God, okay? The Messiah was, it, it actually meant the, the, the promised one who was going to deliver Israel. The thinking at this time wasn't necessarily that God was going to step into the picture. They thought that God was going to send somebody like Moses, Elijah, David, somebody who would, who would operate in that role. They, they had a pretty small view of what God was actually going to do. So when a lot of people were comfortable with following Jesus as a Messiah who was going to be a king, who was going to come in there and kick butt, take over. Uh, but when they start hearing all this crazy talk about being equal with God, uh, uh, all this stuff, that it was highly offensive to them in that day and age. And I can certainly understand why. And so Jesus, he's, he's up to, in, in a matter of a few days, he's up to megachurch status, right? I think megachurch is, uh, I think the definition is like over 2,000 people. Jesus fed well over 5,000 people, probably eight to 10,000 people with a miracle out in the wilderness. So Jesus is up to megachurch status. I mean, like there's probably a handful of churches in all of Louisiana that have 10,000 people. And Jesus, he's got 10,000 people. And right in the midst of this, this amazing group of people that want to make him king, that want, want to, to, to get the thing rolling, right in the middle of all that, he says some things that thin the crowd out. <laughs> 99.9% of the people that were with him a few days earlier are gone. He offends them. But what is interesting is that Jesus doesn't get hung up on all the people that left him. I don't know any pastor right now that pastors a mega church that would not feel like a failure if that happened, right? <laughs> you get up to preach a, sun, a sermon on a Sunday morning, and then next week you're down to 12 people. <laughs> but Jesus, his identity is not tied up into visions of worldly success, but rather in his relationship with his father. He's not looking at success the way you and I look at it, right? You know, the, the question I, I get all the time when I get around pastors, the first question they ask is, hey, how many people you got coming to your church? As if that's the, that's the sole identitor. And I, th- I think most pastors realize that's not really it, but that's kind of what we, 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 we tend to look at. How many people are showing up? Jesus doesn't get caught up in that thing. He's just simply doing what the Father says to do. He's, he's confident, he's secure in his relationship with his heavenly Father. And so that frees him from the stuff that, that bogs down a lot of people in this world. And I think one of the things that, that is so freeing in this is Jesus realizes that he's really just stepping into the work that the Father is doing. Now, I've got to say, I've been in evangelical kind of churches for, oh, I don't know, 20 years. And many years ago, uh, as a, a zealous little evangelical, man, I, I was trying to convert the whole world to Christianity. And and uh, I, I was very zealous in my attempts, and I was a part of groups of people. And, and sometimes we would do these things that I remember one summer we did this 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 big push with dramas and all this stuff, and we got like 500 people to come up and pray a prayer to give their life to God. And everybody was like, yes. And yet most of those people within two or three months weren't having anything to do with Jesus. We, we talked them into something. I mean, because nobody wants to go to hell. Most people want to go to heaven. And that's kind of the way we, those are the terms we put it in. And most people, I vote for heaven, right? 
But they didn't really, they didn't really just sign up to, 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 to follow Jesus. I can't help but wondering if maybe we talked them into some things with our slick presentations sometimes. We weren't entering into what God was doing. It's a different thing to, to find out, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? You know, we did this thing in the fall called Alpha Course. Actually, we started with Alpha before we ever did the weekend services. Uh, Matina Bella restaurant a couple blocks from here. They let us use it on a Tuesday night, and we invited people out. And Alpha is basically an eight, ten-week course on the basics of Christianity. It's just we're talking about Jesus, but it's in a way that gives people space to process what God's doing. So nobody's like trying to close the deal on your eternal salvation, you know, every moment of the thing. We just invite you to sit down, have dinner, and we're going to talk about Jesus and you can ask questions. And, but, but, but part of why I think that that works is we're, we're not trying to close the deal. I realize that if I can talk you into following Jesus, you can be talked out of it. But if God is talking you into following Jesus and you submit to that, that's a whole different thing. Jesus was confident in his ministry because he was just stepping into what God was doing. He had no need that he had to make things happen. Jesus didn't have to put on, you know, he didn't have to get PowerPoints and slick presentations. He, he was just saying, God, Father, what are you doing? And sometimes it was, it was talking to a Samaritan woman who nobody would have talked to. Sometimes it's healing a lame person. Sometimes it's turning water into wine. But Jesus was totally secure in that relationship. You know, there's a, there's a saying I read from Brennan Manning last week. The, the, the women just started a, a uh, study on Abba's Child from Brennan Manning, and I got to crash their uh, thing the other night. And, uh, uh, but I've been reading the book, too. It's, it's, not, just, it's not a woman's book, but uh, Brennan Manning, in his intro, he says, The grace to grasp grace is grace. Like, we can't even begin to receive God's grace apart from God's grace in our life. Like, like God has to get us to a point where we can even get his grace. And that's grace. We typically think of grace as just this God, God can overlook our sins. But to even come to God is an act of God's grace. Jesus knew that no one comes to me except the Father draws them. So we see that, number one. Second thing, we see a sober warning. Even followers of Jesus can get offended with him. You ever gotten offended with Jesus before? <laughs> you can. It's possible. You can get offended at him. Even the inner circle. I mean, it, it's hard to imagine that these 12 disciples, there's one of them in there that's a devil. And I don't think he started out that way. You know, some Bible scholars, they, they tend to believe that Judas Iscariot was what you would call um, a zealot. Now, if you if you go back a couple of hundred years before Jesus came on the scene with his earth, earthly ministry, there were the Maccabees. If, if you've got a Catholic Bible, you, you might have the Macca, Maccabee books in there. And, and it talks about the, the Maccabean revolts. Those were zealots, people who wanted to overthrow the government. And, and some have, have, have uh, made the case that Judas was, was probably a zealot. And so he's all for getting in the inner, inner circle with Jesus, the Messiah. But, but at some point, he gets disappointed. It's not going the direction he thought. He thought, we're taking over Jerusalem. <laughs> We're, we're going to throw off the Romans. Somewhere, he, even though he's in the middle of the inner circle, even in, though he's in the 12, even though he's been out, sent out by Jesus, commissioned to heal the sick, even though he's been a part of the miracles, something in his heart begins to turn the other way. 
I want to show an illustration. We, if you've been around our church for very long, we, we, we visit this quite often. This is, uh, this is what you would call a bounded set. And this is what a lot of, a lot of churches and groups are. The, the, the important thing in this kind of diagram is, is the boundary, right? So some churches it might be, well, you've got to pray a prayer to get in the circle or, or you've got to go through a membership class or maybe you've got to wear a suit and a tie each week. Other churches, the boundary may be you've got to wear flip-flops and, and a, you know, you've got to be a hipster, uh, whatever. Uh, but the boundary could be anything from doctrinal beliefs to, to beliefs on political issues. If you want to be in our circle, you have to look this way, talk this way, think this way. The important thing in, in a group like this is the boundary, Right? You're in or you're out. And, and I've, I've been to a lot of churches like that. The, but I think the better way to look at this, and we can see this all through the Gospels, is what you call centered set. And under the centered set model, the important thing isn't the boundary. The important thing is, where are you in relationship to Jesus? Are you moving towards him? Are you moving away from him? You know, my pastor on the South Shore, he was a, a deacon for many years in the Baptist church, and he didn't know Jesus. Finally, one day he got saved. He was in the club, but he, his heart wasn't, he wasn't heading towards Jesus. He was just out here just heading his own selfish way. We can see all throughout the, the, the Gospels that the Pharisees, they were good at, at having a bounded set thinking. You had to look like a Pharisee, talk like a Pharisee, act like a Pharisee to get in their club. And then once you were in their club, you're in. How many people do we see take a membership at, class at a church, you know, 30 years ago? I, I'm, a, I'm a member in good standing, <laughs> Of this church, well, are you still like Jesus? You still a big fan of him? You 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 you're heading after him? No, no. That's I. But I I I pay my check each week. I pay my dues. The the important thing I think we see in the Gospels is that centered set. We see this mentality that you know if you if take take Jesus and the Pharisees for instance, culturally, ethnically, religion wise, they were very close to each other. You know, the Pharisees would be right next to Jesus, but were they heading towards him? No. They're heading away. But then you can take someone like this, this woman caught in adultery or, or uh, you know, Levi the tax collector, people that were very far away from Jesus, and they begin heading towards him. I think that th- this, this can show us a lot of stuff on the gospel. The question is not whether you're in the circle, but are you still moving towards Jesus? Because, see, it's possible to even be in Jesus' 12. Imagine being in that small group. It's possible to be in the inner circle with Jesus and yet have your heart moving away from them. And that's what we see with Judas. He's really close to Jesus, but he's not moving towards him any longer. In fact, he will betray Jesus. It's possible to get offended at Jesus even when we're close to him and to opt out of the journey. So the question that each of us need to ask ourselves, am I moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus? Am I just showing up to church each Sunday? Am I just involved in some Christian activities? That's not enough. All all this stuff is meaningless if we're not moving towards Jesus. If you're moving towards Jesus, this will be very meaningful. In this, we also see two responses to Jesus, the flesh and the spirit. You know, there's a story, I believe it's in Matthew, where, where Jesus says, who, 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 do, who are people saying that I am lately? You know, what's my reputation out there? And, and the disciples say, some think you're Elijah, some people think you're John the Baptist, uh, 
and 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 so Jesus says to Peter, "Who do you who, who am I to you?" And and Peter says, "You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus says, "Blessed are you, Peter, because you didn't think that up yourself. My Spirit revealed that to you." And Peter's he's feeling good about himself. And if you follow that story, just a couple of verses later, Jesus is then calling Peter Satan. <laughs> Jesus, Peter, Peter is, is getting a revelation from God one moment, but then a few minutes later when Jesus starts talking about, I've got to go to the cross and suffer and die, Peter's like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the way we're going to do this thing. You're Jesus. You're going to be the Messiah. This thing's going to, to, to make you king. You can't. Well, that's crazy talk, Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I think we can see in Peter's own journey that that sometimes Peter was responding to him out of his flesh, sometimes out of the Spirit of God. In this particular passage, we see that that, that Peter is responding very similarly. Where else can we go? You've got the words of life. That's the the response of the Spirit, the response of, of, of God's revelation to him. We I I know you're I know you're it. I know you're God's son. I know you're the one. But Judas, for whatever reason, and we can speculate, but Judas does not have that. Judas is in the midst of the group. He's right up there next to Jesus, but his heart has already turned away. It's interesting to me, too, just a, just a little sidebar. Jesus, even though he knows Judas is going to betray him, he doesn't kick him out of the group. It's interesting. I want to say one last thing, too. Uh, we, we see a response of the flesh. We, we see a response of the, uh, of, of the Spirit. We actually see Jesus saying... Um, Using the word, um, you know, flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but, but the spirit. Sometimes when we come across this word flesh, Paul uses it a lot uh, in his writings. Sometimes we're tempted to think that, that flesh, this stuff's bad. Have you ever thought that before? And sometimes it's, it's because we're scared of our own desires and stuff, and I get that. But, but when the Bible uses the word flesh, flesh itself is not evil. The, the, the term that they're using here, it really has more to do with your unregenerate self. So it's, it's kind of like you without God. Um, no amount of human thinking, no amount of, of your own activity can get you there. So we see Jews, Jesus, Judas is, is stuck in the flesh. Peter is beginning to have a revelation of God. And finally... Finally, we come to the words that, that I just love. It's very similar to what we sang this morning. When Jesus asked whether the twelve want to leave him as, as well, Peter answers, where else can we go? Only you have the words of life. Only you have the words of deep and lasting life. You know, there's a lot of people out there making promises today, aren't they? I mean, politicians... Right now, we're getting more than an earful of that. Uh, if you vote for me, the world's going to be better. And, they're, and they, they're giving us, you know, but, but, but many times it's, it's, it's empty promises, right? I mean, I think probably most of us feel like whichever guy wins in November, it's not really going to make the world necessarily <laughs> that much better of a place, unfortunately. <laughs> we're, it's easy to get cynical about these things because we've heard so many words that are just empty. 
And in Jesus' day, it wasn't just the politicians and people like that. The Roman government, they were, they were casting a glorious view of Rome. Rome's going to take care of you. Rome will give you everything you need. Rome will entertain you, feed you. Just, just stay in line. But it was also religious teachers. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. There were people out there who had their own version. But, but, but Peter's saying, look, only you have the words that truly bring life. All these other people, they got words, but only you have the words that bring deep and lasting life. That's so true. See, the difference between reading the words of Jesus versus reading the words of Homer, not the Simpsons guy. Um. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Just uh, he, Homer, he was this ancient Greek poet. Okay. The difference between reading the words of Jesus versus reading the words of, of Homer, who was a, a, a writer, you know, that, that actually predated the, the earthly ministry of Jesus. The difference is Jesus' words will change you. Homer's words might inspire you, but Jesus' words will change you. The difference between the words of Jesus versus the words of Dr. Phil or Deepak Chopra or whoever out there is the words of Jesus will actually bring you into life. They don't just inspire you, they change you. And again, I think in in these words, we find an echo of the, the theme that we've seen all along in the Gospel of John, all the way back at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. Everything that was ever created was created in Him, through Him, by Him. Jesus is the word that that created and sustains the universe. And what we see in the Gospel of John is new creation is happening again. God is up to creating something new. His words are bringing life. And His words have the power to bring you life today. No matter where you're at. No matter if you feel like you're out here or if you feel close to Jesus. If we open up our hearts, if we begin to, to meditate, chew, reflect, let his words into our life, they will change us. We tell our kids all the time, uh, you know, sometimes they think that, that we're not great parents. And sometimes we're not. But we say, you should have seen us before the words of Jesus. <laughs> you should have seen us before we allowed God's spirit into our life, before we started chewing on his word, before that came in. That has changed us. He ain't done yet, but it's changed us. Where else can we go to get that? Nowhere. So today, I just want to close with a word of prayer and and maybe a fresh commitment to just embrace Jesus as the word for our lives, as the hope for us. That again, in in this time where there's so many things vying for, for our vote, our attention, our money, that, that, that we would, would realize that regardless of who gets elected, regardless of what happens to the economy, true life isn't found in the economy or the government. It's found in Jesus Christ alone. Why don't you stand?
one 